I'm Sam Clements, and this is The Holiday Season, a podcast that takes a detailed look at writer-director Nancy Meyer's 2006 Christmas classic, The Holiday. I love romantic comedies, and I love films set at Christmas, so it's no surprise that I'm a huge fan of The Holiday, a rom-com set at Christmas. The Holiday is the film where two women trade homes only to find that a change of address can change their lives. Starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law and Jack Black. The film was described as a modern holiday classic by the Huffington Post. And Bridget Jones's Diary, without the big knickers, hmm, by the now defunct News of the World. Over the course of the series, we'll learn more about director Nancy Myers, take a closer look at the screenplay, get into the making of the film, and look at how it became such a festive staple. We'll talk to experts in the film industry, members of the cast, and those people who made it all happen behind the scenes. It goes without saying, but there will be spoilers for The Holiday in this podcast. Please do pause the show if you've not seen the movie before. Go and watch The Holiday. You will have a fabulous time, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. My fascination with The Holiday began in December 2006, when I watched the film at the cinema the now sadly demolished Sydney World Southampton, and I've been hooked ever since. I was a 19-year-old film student at the time, not exactly its target audience, and I went with my friend and fellow holiday enthusiast, Simon Renshaw. My name is Simon Renshaw, and my relationship with the holiday is a 13-year... Okay, obsession is too much. It's not an obsession. Uh, It's like a long, treasured relative that I see once a year at Christmas. Do you remember when the film first came out? Yeah, I remember it very well. I was at university with you um, and uh, we went to see it together a number of times. I, In my memory, I mean this is 13 years ago so I might be wrong, but I seem to remember seeing it three times. Is that right? Did we go three times? I feel like we've seen it so many times with you. I've <laughs> can't remember where or when. I just remember being there with you. Okay. Well, that's very sweet of you. Yeah, we've seen it together at the cinema since then, but I think upon its theatrical release originally in 2006, I saw it three times. Uh, all, I think, at the Cineworld in Southampton, where we were unlimited members and therefore able to see the film unlimited times. Can you remember what you thought after that first viewing? I remember turning to our friend Liam as the closing credits appeared on screen. And I remember grabbing his arm with my hand in the in the grips of absolute euphoria. Because I was so, so excited, not because the film had ended after its substantial running time, more because I just loved it. I mean, it, it's so silly. It is such a confection, but one that I... That, continues to give me a great deal of pleasure. I mean, our expectations were not high. We like Nancy, but it looks like Pap, and that trailer's terrible. I remember seeing it at the time, and I've rewatched it recently. It really is bad, and selling quite a different film, I think. Uh, It doesn't have any of the warmth or the humour, really, that that exists in the film. But my expectations were were, were not that high and were uh, exceeded massively. I just couldn't believe it. We went back a few days later. It was within the week we saw the film again, uh, which is absurd. More from Simon later in the series. 
It's been fun to see the awareness of this film continue to grow and grow, especially as it fell into the Christmas movie cycle during the December TV schedule. And it still brings me joy, all these years later. I even hosted my own screening of the holiday at the Clapham Picture House in 2017, and to my surprise, people who I didn't even know turned up. I had hoped to play Hans Zimmer's joyous score for the film in the foyer as customers arrived, but the only Hans Zimmer CD I could find in the local charity shop was his soundtrack to Crimson Tide, so the audience retreated to Hans's epic submarine soundscape as they settled in for the holiday. The guy has range. So that's me, but where did the holiday come from? The film was written, directed and produced by Nancy Myers, a long-standing Hollywood figure who, arguably, isn't as well-known as she should be. You'll have heard of her movies, though. The Parent Trap, What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, and yes, The Holiday. Nancy Myers has been making movies in Hollywood since 1980. She's an Oscar nominee, and her films perform fantastically well at the box office. I spoke to Los Angeles-based director and producer Amy Adrian. Her Sundance selected documentary, Half the Picture, celebrates women filmmakers in Hollywood, their artistry and their perseverance. Amy interviewed a number of high-profile directors for her movie. I asked Amy, who is Nancy Myers? Nancy Myers is a writer and director working in Hollywood whose credits span so many films that I'm sure all of us are familiar with. In getting ready to do this interview, I just looked at her IMDb credits and I was like, holy crap, did she write Private Benjamin and Baby Boom and so many of these films from the 80s and into the 90s when she you know, started doing more directing in the late 90s and 2000s. But so many films that are kind of classic comedies or romantic comedies, very often with strong, interesting, complicated female leads at the center. So films like What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, uh, the intern, it's complicated. And I think she's also marked, which I find so impressive, with really knowing how to work with really big movie stars, which is something that many women directors don't have the luxury of doing. It's just hard to get cast attached to your projects, especially A-list cast. And she's worked with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton and uh, Helen Hunt and Anne Hathaway, Robert De Niro, so many big movie stars. And I think she's really done a great job of like leveraging what makes them movie stars into the characters' roles in her films. She's been working consistently since 1980. And in a business that's hard for everyone and certainly hard for women, I mean, what a testament to her, to her tenacity and her talent that she's gone from being such a significant screenwriter to being a very significant and, you know, hugely financially successful writer and director. Do you think the name Nancy Myers sells a movie? I do. I mean, I think she certainly has her style, her world. People kind of have an idea of what a Nancy Myers film is. And I think, you know, she does have an audience who who is going to be there when she has a new movie to open. And and as I said, that's that's very rare for any director. She's like Quentin Tarantino or Wes Anderson. She is a director who has a very distinct take on the world and kind of storytelling that people really enjoy. Why is Myers a name we should be aware of? I spoke to Dr. Deborah German, reader in film and television at Roehampton University, to learn more about the filmmaker. As an academic, I've always been interested mostly in popular cinema, and I've been interested in uh, women's cinema, and particularly 
how in both those instances their modes of filmmaking which are often not held in very high esteem increasingly I was interested in Nancy Myers because she has the distinction of being the most commercially successful woman filmmaker of all time that's right she's the most commercially successful woman filmmaker of all time as a director her films to date have made over 1.3 billion dollars at the global box office and that's only from the six that she's directed not including the films that she wrote and produced in the first 20 years of her career. And very few directors at all can consistently open a film, you know, consistently get box office and get audiences in the seats. And Nancy Myers is one of those handful of directors and one of the incredibly few women directors who has that kind of power and connection with her audience. And yet, very often, people that are knowledgeable about film, including my own film students, didn't know who she was. It wasn't a name they recognised. And so I I really wanted to sort of kind of get to the bottom of this. Like, How can you be that successful at one level, but not be someone whose name holds kind of instant recognition factor for a lot of people? As I started to research her, I was increasingly struck by... Uh, how often she's kind of belittled in critical reviews. I think she's esteemed among kind of her industry and among you know her, her kind of fellow um, practitioners perhaps, but but not in kind of critical circles. And so I kind of thought we, we needed to pay some attention to this and try and undo it a bit. Deborah has in fact written a book about Nancy Myers, published by Bloomsbury Academic. Yeah, so I have the distinction myself of writing the first kind of full-length monograph on Nancy Myers. There have been other kind of smaller bits of work about her, you know, kind of few um, chapters dotted here and there, but certainly nothing like the body of work you would have expected to see um, given, you know, how important she, she can be considered to be, not just kind of women's filmmaking or women's um, history in cinema, but kind of Hollywood cinema, popular filmmaking, I was the first person to say, let's have a, an entire book on this woman. But even amongst Deborah's academic peers, there's been a resistance towards Nancy Myers. An important person in the room said to me, oh, isn't it the case that if no one's done a book on her yet, that could be because we don't need a book on her? And I just thought that was a really, well a surprising and uh, problematic way of looking at it. Because if we take if we take it to be the case that just because something hasn't been written about length, it doesn't deserve to be written about length, uh, then we're going to fall into a lot of problems. So is Nancy Myers a respected figure within the film industry? Well, I think she's in a really interesting position because she is a consistently successful director. So I think that lends you a a very solid amount of respect in this business because it is so hard to make movie after movie and get an audience to come out. I think that there's simultaneously a lot of respect there. And then there, you know, there is the element of Nancy Myers films are kind of synonymous with like house porn or fancy kitchens or, you know, beautiful, successful women in lovely homes, often in comedic or or, you know, romantic comedy situations, you know, I think a lot of those elements are perhaps not as respected as her films maybe aren't considered like serious films. Um, And I think in general, you know, that's just something in our culture. Film stories that deal with women, women's issues, you know, women characters, uh, fantasies that women have, about, you know, possibilities in their life and success and romantic happiness, you know, it all 
comes with a little bit of eye roll or scorn or condescension. And I think her films have certainly had, you know, experienced some of that. This is something Deborah has come across time and time again in her research. The thing that's most frequently returned to in terms of you know, talking about what's distinctive about her films is the way they look and this Nancy Myers style in terms of these really exquisite homes and interiors that she um, makes the centres of her film. So you know, quite often what you'll see in critical reviews is, oh, you know, it looks, they, look, they look so beautiful, they're stunning, but they're, they're still very superficial. Certainly that kind of really intricate interest in design is central to her work, particularly kind of the space of the home. And so where that has often been belittled, as I say, as being kind of a superficial interest, you know, another way of approaching it is, you know, how are homes important to the narratives of her film in terms of character development? What do her homes tell us about kind of characters? And certainly she, she talks frequently about how much detail speaks to the lives of the people that live there. So she says something like, you know, if, if the sheets on the bed aren't the right kind of sheets, I've got to change, I've got to change them, you know. So it's that, that level of like really infinite detail. The other thing that's often said about what sort of typifies her, her films, very much linked to the idea of these exquisite interiors, is that the milieu is this kind of privileged white middle class so she continually returns to um, you know the, the lives of this very privileged set of people where you know they're problem they have problems but you know their problems are pretty nice and they take place among among these beautiful homes and you know obviously she's obviously always spoken about as well as as you know a rom com director she's um, as I talk about in the book she's frequently referred to as the rom com queen. And, you know, you know, some of her films clearly do fit quite neatly into that, some of them less so. So if you think about thing, things like Parent Trap, you know, yes, it has rom-com features, but it's, you know, it's more than that as well. But I think talking about her as the rom-com queen has been quite, quite a neat way of kind of pigeonholing her. The thing about rom-com, of course, is that it's a genre which is held in really low esteem. And so if, if you pigeonhole her, in that way and say she's the rom-com queen then it becomes a kind of a, an easy shorthand of a way of not taking her film seriously so it's become a sort of you know problematic kind of circle of 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 criticism if we only talk about her as a rom-com director then we um you know we don't move on to looking at her films in, in more nuanced kinds of ways the holiday currently has a 49 percent positive rating from critics on popular review aggregator rotten tomatoes and an 80 percent positive rating from the audience which is fine. Art is meant to be discussed and critiqued. The difference between those Rotten Tomato scores implies that there's clearly some strong feelings both for and against The Holiday. What struck me was just how The Holiday was written about on general release by a number of mainstream outlets. Some of the language is extraordinary. The original review for The Holiday in Empire magazine from January 2007 uses some pretty extreme comparisons. If the Long Island set Something's Gotta Give was a slice of pure Hamptons porn, then this is Hollywood porn, an English countryside porn, rustic charm and LA luxury living, all wrapped up in a big festive bow. Porn? Yeah, definitely. And again, that's something I did I do t- um, talk about in the book is why does this term recur in so many wa- in so many ways? Often she's referred to as a purveyor of interior porn, for example. And again, I think it's 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 about you know suggesting that uh, it's not work to be taken seriously. It's not um, art. 
And I think it's patronising and gendered as well in terms of sort of suggesting that uh, you know, women should be the object of the gaze and not the, not the practitioner. Uh, so it's almost a way of kind of like putting women back in their place, I think. Deborah expands on this idea in the preface of her book. While the popular and flippant usage of the porn suffix has become common in the vernacular of post-feminist discourses, it is striking here for the insidious manner in which it operates as a reminder that the person behind these films is a woman. The flippant suggestion that Myers makes softcore designer pornos glibly denigrates her skills as a female director and, by extension, questions and undermines the taste of her audience. Deborah continues to say that it's a loaded term, suggesting that its use implies that she is out of place having achieved such mainstream and commercial momentum in Hollywood, that the proper territory for women in film lies not somewhere behind the camera or in command of it, but in the realm of sexualized spectacle. The general tone of the contemporary reviews of Meyer's work is that of begrudging enjoyment. That Empire review for the holiday actually ends up giving the film three out of five stars. I personally find it a little bemusing that Meyer's films, which bring me such joy, sometimes receive such a spiteful response from film critics. This is something that Meyer's has experienced for her entire 40-year-long career. Nancy Meyer's actually mentioned this subject herself at a BAFTA screenwriters lecture in 2015, hosted by Bryony Hansen. The reviews, I've read a couple and then I stop reading them because every time I forget and I also think, oh, now they're going to embrace me. Now I'm older, I've proven myself time and again. Yeah. Forget it. But do you, uh, do you care? Does, does I it, do care. I, do I wish care. I didn't care. I wish I was bigger, but, you know, I'm, I care. Something I was really, really struck by sometimes was just the kind of sheer vitriol of the way critics would talk about her films. And, you know, I think partly it's 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 directed at the, at the genre because critics feel they have a kind of free reign just to kind of belittle it um, and belittle the audiences for it. But also I think it's often very gendered. Um, so there's this kind of disdain for the presumed rom-com audience, which is, you know, women. And with Nancy Myers' films, it's also presumed to be older women. And, of course, she is an older woman herself. So it's often quite patronising uh, in the way it sort of talks about her work and her audiences. This idea of pandering, for example, is something that comes through quite often as if, as if you, you know, if you're making these kinds of films or watching these kinds of films, you can't be a kind of critical thinker of any kind. There's such a double standard in our culture, in film, in criticism between men and women. I mean, there are certainly many, many male directors who are very particular about the design of their films, you know, and and even the social strata that they tend to make their work in. So you look at, you know, Wes Anderson, for example, who is absolutely celebrated for the craft that goes into making his films, which are very idiosyncratic, tend to be you know, very upper income families and people and the design is just so impeccable. And there's there's so much respect for that and what it means to be an auteur and have that kind of vision. And for women, it's different. And I think it's seen as like a, a catalog or something, you know, like a like a furniture catalog. And it's just not there's there's less appreciation for the craft that goes into the design of the film. And I think in all of her films, the design is key to understanding her characters and to creating a certain kind of mood of comfort and aspiration and, you know, wonderful fantasy for her audience. And that's 
absolutely valid, just as it is for, you know, whatever kind of fantasies we explore in Marvel movies or in Wes Anderson or in Quentin Tarantino films. But, you know, again, in worlds where the women's stories are centered and highlighted, there, there tends to be a little bit of disparagement about that. Surely Nancy Meyer's films are just escapist fun. It, this question of, yeah, they are, they are escapist. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that viewers can take great pleasure in just looking at the spaces of a Nancy Meyer's film. So, you know, the architecture is amazing. If you read her talking about the kind of, the, the detail she puts into this, like the, the kind of post-production I read about, and it's complicated. She went through frames getting rid of um of, of of sort of spikiness on the on the greenery in the garden for example but you know to have those kinds of pleasures doesn't mean that other kinds of kind of critical work or um unpleasantness can't also be explored you know thinking about the holiday there is a lot of time dedicated to the pain of iris's relationship she doesn't sort of shy away from like the self-destructive past that she's had that you know the kind of the difficulties of of being uh, in in a a relationship of unrequited love i don't think she's uh resistant to giving a lot of screen time to showing that in these beautiful spaces people can um, experience you know unpleasant things you know, her female characters are often marked by being very successful women. I mean, I think she she's doing a lot of things you just don't see in other movies. First of all, they're, you know, women are often the leads. I think basically almost always the leads. And they're they're complicated, but they're not they're not like the hot mess career woman who needs to be brought low by some like schlubby guy to like learn how to live life and enjoy it. I mean, they all have things that they need to learn, as we all do in life. But just the fact that she centers those kinds of characters and they are successful and they're financially successful and they live in beautiful places often that they deserve because they're good at what they do. Just that fact is so rare in films and is, you know, a bit radical. You can see why her movies kind of tweak some pe- some critics or some audience members who might be a little, I don't know, unnerved by that. But certainly we spend 12 months a year really actively indulging so much male fantasy in so many films, you know, it's wish fulfillment, it's fantasy, it's, you know, men wanting to be heroic and important and significant and, you know, indomitable. That's so much of what we're used to seeing in movies. And people don't look at that and go like, oh, how childish or, you know, how male fantasy. We just take it as stories that people connect to because we do have those, you know, feelings and, and women have feelings of wanting to be successful and self-assured and meeting like the most incredible guy you've ever laid your eyes on. And Nancy Meyers films provide that. On the topic of those successful female protagonists, fellow writer and actor Mindy Kaling brought this up with Nancy Meyers herself at the 2019 Produced By conference. Kaling was in conversation with Meyers to discuss her own movie, Late Night. Kaling asked Myers about the popular discourse around her production design. Kaling said, I often think male writers focus on those aspects of the movie because they can't relate to the central problems of the protagonist. For instance, a 62-year-old woman's children have left the house and she has an empty nest. Kaling says, That would irritate me. Do you ever feel like your movies are misunderstood? Myers, with her producer sat on, replies, Not by the people who go to watch them, which is all that really matters. Followed by... 
I don't love when a critic or journalist will pick up on that aspect because they're missing the boat and they are missing why the movie works. Myers continues, It's a cheap shot. It's never done to male directors who make gorgeous-looking movies where the leads live in a great house. It's never brought up. And with me, it's an easy thing to go after. But I am not going to change. And people really do go out and watch those films. Whilst writing her book, Deborah learned that the holiday holds a special place in people's hearts. Generally, one of the most intriguing things to me that emerged in the process of doing the book was just finding out how well-loved the holiday was. So, I mean, quite often when I'd be talking to people about, what are you doing? I'm working on this book. I'm Nancy Myers, and people don't know who she is. Then you start to list some of the films. They recognise the film straight away, and, you know, the sort of jigsaw comes together a bit. And the thing that really struck me was, as soon as you say the holiday, and the response would be, the holiday, I love the holiday. And that happened so many times. I know it's anecdotal, but I thought there's something really interesting going on here that people had such affection for it and that they spoke about it as the film that they would put on every Christmas. And it was like a ritual for them. And, of course, we we look at the other films that we do that that with, like It's a Wonderful Life, and we really revere those films. And it seemed like something like that was happening with The Holiday. And that's what got me more and more interested in The Holiday, was just seeing seeing that response. When I, when I first saw The Holiday, I wasn't that taken by it. Uh, I, I found it... You know, it it didn't feel terribly imaginative to me, but seeing how other people loved it so much that that really intrigued me. And of course, then I and then I started rewatching it and rewatching it. And over time, I, I think that 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 question of, of returning to a film because it's comforting is is a really powerful thing that cinema can do. Deborah has written a whole book on Nancy Myers. But did she get to talk to her? I, I did think about it a lot. Um, in my experience, you could spend a lot of time, you probably know this, <laughs> you spend a lot of time chasing people to sort of, you know, interview them. And I kind of thought in the end, I can do this book without that that process because there's other materials where I can, you know, get her, her you know, statements and testimonies and interviews and so on. So I didn't, I didn't try to get in touch with her. And I also kind of think in some ways it can be harder to sort of write about someone's work once you've had that kind of, you know, connection with them. And I thought I kind of, you know, need to be able to do this, uh, you know, sort of dispassionately as I might. However, <laughs> sometime later, I was at a preview screening of Home Again and Nancy Myers was there as a producer doing a Q&A with her daughter and there's you know a bit of Q&A going on going on with the audience and, and I thought here's, here's my moment if I don't if I don't say something now I, I never will so I put my hand up didn't even quite know what I was going to say and I, I started to ask a question and she interrupted me Nancy Mize interrupted me and said hang on are you the one that wrote a book about me and I was yes I am <laughs> and so she she had read it so we we, we you know spoke for a moment and then when the credits of the film began she beckoned me backstage and I went backstage and had a had a little chat with Nancy Myers so that was quite a special moment. Where would Deborah recommend people go next after the holiday? You can argue that you know the canon has to start with Private Benjamin go back to 1980 I mean She's not a director then, but as a producer and a writer, obviously she's got a really kind of big career that precedes her becoming a director. In terms of her work as a director, for me, I think something's got to give and it's complicated are the most interesting films. And, 
because I really like what she does there with putting older women in romantic roles. Um, and again, we're seeing more and more of this now. But when she made Something's Gotta Give, that was a really risky move. I think there's just some great, lovely moments in um, Something's Gotta Give where she gives a, a space for older women to, to speak. Um, you know, some of it's problematic again if it's suggesting that older women can only reach fulfilment because they reconnect with a heterosexual romance. Obviously, there's a lot of limitations around what that might say about, you know, older women's aspirations. But, you know, within the context of what we might expect contemporary Hollywood to be doing at that time, you know, it's a really, it's a really interesting and lovely film, I think. Sometimes I feel a little bit irritated. You know, I do find some of the... Uh, the, the kind of limitations of where she sets her her, her characters, you know, that, that can be problematic. But they're, they're also comforting. And one of the things I wanted to talk about in the book was kind of eradicate this idea of the guilty pleasure. There's nothing wrong in saying Nancy Myers' film just makes me feel good at the, at the end of it. You know, I kind of, it, it lifts my spirits. Um, and, and whereas kind of romantic comedy is often, often spoken about something you should feel a little bit embarrassed or apologetic about enjoying, I, I think that, you know, Nancy Myers films is, it just says, you know, let, let loose, you know, this is what, this is what these films do. They, they are generic films, but there's lots to be said for the kind of enjoyments we can take from that. I asked Amy, if Nancy Myers made a grittier type of movie, would she get more attention from awards bodies like the Academy? How sad would that be if Nancy Myers like kind of chucked her whole legacy to be like, I'm going to get their attention. I mean, there's so many there's so many of all different kinds of movies and there really aren't that many Nancy Myers kinds of movies. I mean, she fills a, a void that really only she and her work, you know, does puts out into the world. I think she's incredibly uh, rewarded by audiences who flocked to her movies. Not all directors, not all films are necessarily going to be Academy favorites. I think her films are kind of a lesson in what great writing and what movie stars can do. There's a lot of great writing in Hollywood and, and by women. Well, I wouldn't say that. I would say there's a lot of great writing by women directors, but again, so rarely do they get to really access iconic movie stars, you know, big, gorgeous, charismatic movie stars and her films. Yeah, they just have such great characters and the roles are played by really fantastic actors. And that's just a recipe for movie magic. And that's kind of what so much of Hollywood did well for decades until we got into the, the bigger, you know, visual effects kind of fantasy films. And now so much of Hollywood is that. But really, if you have a great, strong script and really compelling actors... I mean, there's there's nothing that can compare to that. Something Deborah German said in our interview really stuck with me, and I think it sums up what this series is all about. You know, you don't have to find every work by a filmmaker to be you know, brilliant to think that you that they deserve critical attention and sustained analysis. And that's always what I've kind of wanted to say about, about Nancy Myers is this isn't about, uh, you know, writing about her, isn't about sort of presenting a love letter to her work. It's about saying she deserves our attention and look at what she's been achieving. So with 40 years of filmmaking behind her, what is Nancy Myers working on now? Well, we don't know. When asked in 2019 by Mindy Kaling what she was working on next, Myers simply replied, I'm taking a break. 
The business has changed in a way that is somewhat unrecognisable to me. I'm not sure how much I want to do it. This echoes the concerns that Myers has around the future of the type of film she makes. When asked about her daughter, Hallie Myers Shire's career as a writer-director at the 2015 BAFTA Screenwriters Lecture, she said, The last 35 years, you could make movies about people. This movie, The Intern, was very hard to get made. You know, for me, it was hard to get made, and I've had had successes, so there was a track record there they could look at and feel good about. It was still really hard to get made. So I, I worry about her because I worry about the climate and the landscape, you know, of the movie business, and are they, but, but I'm, I think with my movie getting made, you know, and I know a couple other people have gotten movies made that are not superhero movies, you know, whatever. Maybe the pendulum is swinging back in the direction of human beings and human stories and comedies about adults. I, for one, hope that Nancy Myers does pick up the typewriter and draft another screenplay soon. I feel like rom-coms are possibly having a resurgence, especially on streaming services such as Netflix. And in 2019, two of the highest-grossing films in cinemas were romantic comedies, Yesterday and Last Christmas. But what do I know? In the meantime, there's a wealth of Myers' scripted and directed projects out there. Check out her filmography, find something you like the sound of, and let's carry on the conversation around her work. That really is the goal of this podcast. I'm not saying that Myers is a perfect filmmaker or that The Holiday is a perfect film, but I think Myers is a complex filmmaker, working at the very top of her game, and I think The Holiday is one of her greatest accomplishments. The fact that the film still feels fresh after 13 years and is on regular rotation each Christmas is testament to that. In the next episode, we'll get into The Holiday and take a closer look at the screenplay. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And tell your friends over Christmas, word of mouth is a great way to spread the holiday love. The Holiday Season is written and produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. The show is edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing support from Andy Snook at the Silk Factory and the brilliant team at Number 8 London. You heard contributions from Simon Renshaw, Dr. Deborah German, and Amy Adrian. I highly recommend reading Deborah's book, Nancy Myers, published by Bloomsbury Academic. You can watch the full 2015 BAFTA Screen Talk with Nancy Myers and Bryony Hansen on the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs. You can find links to their work and more at 90minfilmfest.com slash the holiday season. <laughs>